episode of the New Craft House podcast is sponsored by Faf. We use Faf sewing machines in all of our sewing and in all of our workshops, and they really are the best of the best. With everything from beginner machines like the Smarter Range to the Ambition machines that we use in classes to the top of the range creative icon, Faf have something for every sewist. So today it's me, Hannah, and I'm joined by Ellie, who is our sort of head of fulfillment side, head of fabric. Head of fabric. Good head of fabric. Yeah, that is a good title, isn't it? Um, and Rosie's now on maternity. She's had her baby and they're both well. And so Ellie is joining me on today's episode and it is your first ever podcast episode. Yeah, first ever podcast kind of ever. Exciting. <laughs> Terrifying. And I've roped her in to join me to talk about this episode's going to be... So we're going to like do a mini little interview of Ellie because um, she does some really interesting stuff outside of New Craft House. And then we are going to talk a bit about our fabric processing, everything that happens like in the life cycle of the fabric at New Craft House. And then a bit about uh, fabric shopping online. So just like a range of tips and things we'd recommend um, to make sure that you're getting what you want, basically. Yeah, and a little bit about kind of what we try and put in to make it as easy as possible, because buying fabric online isn't the most natural thing because a lot of the time you want to be able to touch it and feel it and kind of that influences why you'd want to buy it. But um, yeah, just a little bit about what we try and do to make that as kind of easy as possible. So how are you, Ellie? I'm good, yeah. Just been uh, working to try and get everything uploaded for Black Friday, which is a bit of an undertaking because uh, we've got four uploads going up like over four days whereas usually we have kind of two uploads a week with like three days in between so it's kind of a lot of preparation where usually like usually we could do an upload and then photograph like the next upload once that's been up but it's been a lot of kind of preparation mm. and organization uh, which is good because I feel like that's what we should probably be trying to be doing. <laughs> we should be working way more in advance than we actually are instead of doing everything on the week. Yeah, I think though the nature of getting the fabric in though you can't necessarily work. That's true. Maybe now that we've had a few more deliveries, but there gets to a point where you're kind of running low on fabric because you haven't had a delivery for the last kind of month or so. But that's just the nature of sourcing because it's not like you can just go to a mill and buy fabric. You have to yeah. reach out to a designer. And then they have to have fabric to sell to you. And if they don't have fabric, then you have, you can't buy fabric. Yeah, exactly. So if we had a delivery of wools, then we have to prioritise them if it's winter as well. So that like jumps the queue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because there's no point putting on like lightweight, like frilly cottons that you'd want to make a summer dress out of yeah. in November. Yeah. But we are, we're getting better at the processing behind because we've kind of redone how we're doing all of it, haven't we? Yeah, it's kind of been streamlined. I guess as yeah. well, just like when I joined, you hadn't... Like, oh God, we used to do it so badly. We used to upload, like, do these huge uploads of fabric, which were really overwhelming. Like, not curated, I guess. Because you were yeah, just... No I guess because you weren't having... You weren't getting as much fabric. You were just kind of... Whenever you got fabric, you were just putting it online. Mm. There wasn't any thought process of, like... I guess you just didn't have enough fabric to think about that that would last you kind of several months. It was more like, we've got fabric, we'll just whack that online. Put it on, get it on sale. And buy some more fabric and put some more online. Yeah. Because you hadn't built up any stock, whereas at this point, it's not loads of back stock, but there's enough back stock to kind of pick and choose and then yeah. also save things that don't necessarily fit. Because when you buy fabric, 
you don't get to choose what you buy. So a designer might be selling majority kind of winter coating, but then they'll have two printed silks for summer dresses. And yeah. before, like, if you haven't got any fabric, you just put the, fa- the silks on. But now there's enough that you can save those printed silks because you know at some point you'll get another load of printed silks that they can kind of slot in with yeah. rather than them just being kind of thrown online in like a little kind of moment on their own. Yeah, which is... And so at the moment now we're picking out collections. Yeah, which is fun. See, so we like walk around the room and we just pull stuff out that fits a vague theme. Yeah. I feel like the themes kind of come... You just see what fabric is there, and then like a theme kind of comes yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, and then and then also you want to vary it because we want to give people like a big choice from what's, um, from what's been uploaded in the last month. Yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't want to do like coating and then another coating and then another coating and another. Yeah, coating. we try and mix it, so you get a bit of everything coming around. Twigs is whining a little bit in the corner. She's cold, but please ignore. So. Today, yeah, we've been prepping stuff for Black Friday. We're doing Black Friday a bit differently. So this is going to come out on Black Friday week and it's going to be the weekend after this episode. And we are doing... We're not doing a discount. Um, We've made the decision that it doesn't really align with what we what we do as a business. Like, we don't want to encourage people to buy stuff that they're not going to use or unnecessary... Like, overconsumption. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so instead, what we're going to do is we're going to give 10% of all proceeds. So that's everything that we take from Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Um, we're going to all the money that comes in, we're going to give 10% to charity and we're splitting it between a few. We haven't finalized which ones yet, um, but maybe two or three. Yeah. And hopefully it goes well. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know there's lots of other fabric shops and other small businesses, businesses that we know that want to do similar things, but it's quite scary because you rely on the money that comes in on Black Friday. Yeah, it's kind of catch-22 when it is a large cash injection because lots of people want to spend their money, but then also you're having to kind of being forced to cut what are already kind of quite tight margins, especially in like a small business, down even more. And it's it's kind of an expectation because everybody's doing it then everybody has to do it yeah but really no one should do it <laughs> yeah exactly we only to agree um and especially with like small businesses where like in really large companies it's kind of built into the infrastructure that the margins are so big that you're going to ha- be able to have quite a large discount and they can still make kind of a healthy profit whereas in smaller companies the margins kind of aren't always that kind of no. that large and kind of being forced into, I force is a kind of harsh word, but being kind of thinking that you to kind of, uh, uh, losing my thread. Like here. have to participate in it. Basically. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of because everyone else is, you feel like you have to. Yeah. Because um, I have heard horror stories of people not doing a discount and then actually just <laughs> take basically no money over the weekend. Um, but we've tried to find some kind of balance by like offering, we're doing like a few more uploads. So it's like a bit more exciting yeah. that weekend anyway. Nice kind of curated. Yeah. Things. And they're really exciting. nice. I'm looking at two of them. Yeah. Now, one of which is a wild like party one where everything's pretty much metallic. Yeah. So many like sparkly sequins, like iridescent, like fringed sequins. <laughs> yeah. That's like really special fabric. Yeah. It's all the kind of exciting stuff that... We've You're been... not going to get to wear out in 2020. <laughs> <No. 
<laughs> but you can make something nice and wear it at home. Mm, yeah, for New Year's Eve. Yeah, stay in New Year's Eve. But then alongside that, as like a 2020 version of Fancy, we've got um, some silks and they're viscose seersuckers, but they're like really, really nice. Um, make like luxe pyjamas. Yeah, like the ultimate stay-at-home lounge yeah. wear. A lounge around on New Year's Eve with a glass of Prosecco in your fancy pyjamas. Yeah. Which is more realist, <laughs> realistic. <laughs> yeah. And then along with, to go with that, we've got loads of pipings and bindings. Um, and some nice like velvet ribbons and things as well. Yeah, so you can make really nice pyjamas. So that's kind of what we've been doing today. And that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of the week, basically. Yeah. Of, um, it's just prepping for Black Friday. Just lots of sorting. when you're not at Newcraft House, what do you do? <laughs> uh, so I have my own kind of fashion brand, I guess. Um, so basically, yeah, I have my own kind of company and I make clothes that are... So my background is in menswear. So I studied menswear kind of fashion at university and then um, did an MA at St Martin's, which I graduated from like three years ago, I think at this point. Um, so that was all kind of menswear. And then in my MA, I did a lot more tailoring. Um, and then off the back of that, I kind of started my own brand. And although it is menswear, essentially, because like my perspective is that I personally wear a lot of menswear and it's more that I like the cut of what is like traditionally called menswear, but essentially it's just jackets and trousers and shirts and things. Um, so what I'm trying to do is create things that are like cut on a conventionally, like a traditionally masculine physique, but designed to be worn by anybody. Um, because you can get kind of tailoring that is fit on a more kind of a traditionally feminine physique, but that's not why I like tailoring. I like the fact that um, it's a little bit more boxy and that the shoulder proportions and things on me personally are a little bit more oversized. So therefore kind of keeping the fit on a kind of traditionally masculine body enables you to kind of retain that proportion and then because my work is about like proportion and the way that the garments move and because like, it's a lot of it's tailoring you can play around with kind of adding more volume in the way that you cut the panels at the back or dropping shoulders and playing around with like cutting things on the bias and things like that um so because it's all about kind of the proportion if you're changing the proportion of the, the person that it's fit on versus the person that ends up wearing it you get a nice kind of shift. Twix is whining again. Um, yeah, so that's kind of basically what I do with all the rest of my time. Um, I technically am making my third, no, fourth season now. Um, but obviously with uh, the pandemic and everything, it's uncertain what is going to be happening. Like, usually I show um, twice a year. So I show um, in... Uh, January and in June but obviously this year June was cancelled uh, because nobody could go obviously no travel um, so I haven't presented a collection this year but to be honest I don't think that is necessarily a problem because all of my kind of clothes I try and source as much from dead stock as possible which is why it's kind of nice working here um, because everything I'm making I'm still really small and everything is in really small runs so if I'm only making kind of, I don't know, 10 of a jacket, I don't need to go to a mill and buy 100 metres or something. I can quite easily source, like, 
20 meters of something in London. So everything has been so far, well, I had some knitwear made in Italy, um, but even that was through like a kind of a friend of a friend contact. So most of it has been trying to make it kind of as uh, like carbon, like the kind of carbon footprint of it as small as possible. So everything is made either by me in my studio, kind of in East London, like 10 minutes from New Craft House or in a factory in Enfield. And then all the fabric has been sourced in kind of the UK, predominantly in London. Um, the only things that haven't been a knitwear, but that's, it's harder to source um, dead stock yarns. But I have started working with um, a company called Loop Studio, which are based down in um, South London, who are quite good at sourcing things and cool. doing like, yes, yeah, it's, it's a side of um, fashion because it's really easy to make clothes because obviously like you can, the process of making clothes like at home and the process of making clothes in a factory, there's very yeah. little actual difference. If you, I think it's a, myth, a thing that people assume that there's all these like fancy machines that do everything. Um, but actually most of the time it's just a person that's making all your clothes. Yeah. Um, whereas with knitting, the scaling up of knitting is a very, very different thing. Like you do get, it's, it becomes kind of computerized and there are like, some you can get like knitting machines that are hand knitting machines but for the most of like bulk knitwear is done can nowadays on computerized machines and that side of thing is very difficult to source locally because you can't just go to a factory that has got i don't know 10 employees that also and um, will just make up however much you yeah. need you need somewhere that has that machine um but this place in south london have got the machine and they can do small sample runs that's cool um, so now you have like something you yeah get it's, test it's samples made and yeah so they can do the sampling and they can also do the production which is really good um but this has been my like trying to trying to teach myself a bit more about knitting in lockdown hand knitting hand knitting because i would like to be able to just understand i feel like hand knitting is what i can do because i obviously can't buy yeah machine. um but i it gives me a bit more insight into how the garments are actually made because I make like I make all my own samples in terms of the tailoring um so being able to make the samples of the knitwear or at least a rough sample would be really good because I feel like being like my design process comes from the fact that I'm making it all so it's just lots of twirling and lots of like that's where you kind of get that happy accident that is kind of as much as you can draw a picture and be like that's what I'm going to design um a lot of the time when you actually make it and you put it on a person, it's really different. Yeah. Um, so if I, like, that's my kind of plan is to try and teach myself a little bit more about knitting. So, because a lot of the time I have, like, sample garments or I'll buy jumpers from charity shops and cut them up and, like, overlap yeah. them together to kind of create an idea of, like, this is what I would like, but obviously in, like, a nice, fully, um, like, I can't think of the word, um, yeah, like fully made uh, garment where it's all kind of each piece is like perfectly knitted but a cut and sew kind of overlock job is kind of about all I can yeah. create at the moment so you're gonna actually be knit hand knitting samples maybe yeah oh you're in front of me I mean it takes me like four months <laughs> I'm well this is the thing but like, I'm not gonna I don't I don't know I'm gonna see because even if I can just hand knit a like a4 sized square of yeah, the so you can see exactly what, yeah, like a, what I like would a like. Good size swatch. Yeah, exactly. Or um, just I feel like 
understanding more about tension. Like, even if I'm just making mm. jumpers and stuff for myself, the tension of knitwear is kind of as important as, like, the yarn you're using. It's kind of, it's a whole different world, like, fabric, like, yeah. I kind of have down, whereas knitting... Because kni- even knitting, that I've knitted for, like, 10 years, I guess, but I, s- I actually don't understand it in the same way that I understand sewing. Yeah. Um, and Rosie's tried to explain stuff to me loads of times, but... I'm just always really confused by, like, the front and the back, which I know sounds stupid, but... And I don't really understand... I think I've got better in the last couple of years, but I didn't... My knowledge of, like, how it works... Yeah. ...is really low. (laughs) So, like, if something goes wrong with sewing, you can normally figure out why that would be happening. Yeah. But with knitting, I I actually just can't... This is the thing. I feel like the technical side of it is so, so different. Because you kind of... Even with, like, patterning and stuff, it's like I make all my own patterns... And currently I'm making patterns which essentially would be like a stretch jersey pattern and then giving it to the knit studio and they're having to convert that into a pattern that mm. works for knitwear. And I'm just trying to twirl things and find a jersey that has about as much stretch as like the knit sample that we've tried to make. Whereas if I understand a bit more about the technical side of um, like what size, what size kind of gauge you're using and whether you're you like how like highly twisted your yarn is whether you're kind of doubling that up or whether you're using kind of is it whether you use a thicker yarn or whether you use two thinner yarns on a higher gauge machine no i don't (laughs) i've got like a bit of it down but you need to get a knitting like technician yeah to like do like a day's intensive (laughs) one of the girls i share a studio with um is a knitwear designer, so... Oh, there you go. This is what's been inspiring me, basically. <laughs> Started sharing a studio with her and saw her knitting... Like, she's just got a kind of domestic brother knitting machine. And I want to... Because they're still quite slow, aren't they, those? Yeah, because you... In, like, the grand scheme of things, to knit a scarf still takes, like... Well, yeah, because it can only go as fast. You're essentially... It's like a keyboard with... If the, if the keys of the keyboard were little, like, needles, and you just run a kind of a block backwards and forwards along the keys and mm. that's what knits it so you can only really go as fast as you can move it backwards and forwards yeah and if you want to change stitches and things you have to for like manually do and... that yeah oh or if you want to put it onto a pearl yeah sometimes you they have like you can do punch cards which is quite cool so it's like mm. um i don't know what they're called but the old pianos that you would have a punch card through that would play yeah um like the the song some of the old knitting machines work like that. So you make a punch card and then it rolls through and then as you like move your thing backwards and forwards, it knits that pattern. That's but cool. it's a very limited, I think it's kind of 16 squares across, like square of like little of variations. So you mm. only get a very small repeat. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like I'm, I'm learning a bit about it, but that's kind of what I want to be learning more about. So at the moment you're working on your next collection, which you're not 100% sure when it's going to come out, but hopefully in the spring? Yeah, so the way that Fashion Weeks kind of traditionally work is they split up Men's Week and Women's Week. So I still show within like the men's schedule just because that's when I started showing um, and I just haven't ever switched. But because that means that everybody is travelling around the world like twice as much as they need to, um, I think most people are trying to squeeze all of the kind of shows all into one week or like one kind of time frame. Mm. So usually I'd be showing in January, but now I think it'll be kind of March time, I think. It's all a little bit up in the air because uh, who knows? And I usually show in Paris because that's where the kind of main uh, 
essentially if the buyers that come from all around the world, some of them come to London, but most, all of them will go to Paris. Um, so it makes sense for me to just take, it's easier for me to take my collection to Paris for kind of four, three or four days than it is to bank on like numerous buyers kind of coming across. Mm. Um, so because obviously travel abroad is not kind of ideal at the moment, who knows whether that will be kind of happening. Um, but there are talks of doing online showrooms, uh, which weirdly I think ties into our buying fabric online. Yeah. <laughs> um, Everything's gone online. Yeah. Because it's a way of trying to, because a lot of the buyers will come and they'll want to try it on themselves, especially with like the buyers that I work with. Most of them are buying things that they want to Oh, really? What, so they'll come and then they'll want to try on samples? Yeah, like being a fashion buyer is like the best thing ever. What, they'll take the sample off the showroom model? So you don't always have... So usually in the way a showroom works is that it'll be... So I um, work in like multi-brand showrooms, which are essentially like if you went to like a little concept store that had maybe six uh, brands in it, it's like that, but for the buyers of those shops. So uh, there'll be like, I don't know six to ten brands probably and the buyers will come in and there's usually like one or two models for like the whole showroom so they'll kind of they like shop what you're presenting mm-hmm. so you have everything kind of on your rail and you've kind of merchandised it nicely and they'll come in and they'll pick stuff that they are interested in cool. and put it on a separate rail and then they either get the models that are there for the showroom to try it on so they oh, can I see what you see. mean so they'll pick up they'll pick items from everyone yeah. So is there only one buyer there at the t- there at a time? Usually there's, you try and arrange appointments so that you don't have loads of people, but you could have like, say there are 10 designers, you could probably have five buyers. Okay. It depends, it just depends how big the showroom is. Like there are showrooms where there are 200 designers and Whoa. yeah, they're like the big, big, big showrooms. I tend to work in smaller showrooms just because, I don't know. I prefer it. And also the showroom I have been working with, they are trying to only show or only going to work with brands that are have a kind of a sustainable kind of conscious aspect to their brand. So with like me and with I think two or three of the others, it's all kind of trying to do dead stock fabric. And then um that they work with a couple of American brands. So there's a brand from San Francisco where it's all just all of it is made in San Francisco, kind of downstairs from where they're that's cool. Um yeah, their studio is. So it's brands that are trying not to, trying to, yeah, to like not conform to the kind of usual of having it made far away and then shipping things like back, back and, and forwards, back and forwards, back and forwards. Yeah, it's try- making things as local as possible with kind of consciously sourced, like if you can't get things that are completely sustainable or you can't get things that are completely kind of organic, just... Had the have there has been thought kind of behind it so you've made as much effort as you can because especially like they they're working with kind of smaller brands so it's kind of yeah not like I don't know your Victoria Beckham's or Alexander or anything it's much much smaller so the you you don't have the infrastructure to buy all of these like or kind of source the most kind of ethically made it's it's why dead stock is a really good option because it's just left over from someone else yeah so you're making use of something well you're not having anything new produced yeah basically yeah 
you're otherwise you of your raw materials be, yeah. yeah you're giving something kind of a new lease of life um, yeah yeah because I imagine if you went to like a mill in Scotland and went to try and get some wool made you wouldn't be able to meet the minimum yeah order it's, quantities exactly yeah it's just unfeasible um because most of obviously most of these places that it's it's totally fine if they are going to make a kind of completely naturally dyed um kind of handwoven tweed or something for Alexander McQueen because Alexander McQueen have like enough stores around the world to be able to fulfill an order of yeah. like 500 meters yeah. <laughs> um and you can you can do things where you can kind of have fabric samples so the mill will make you two meters or something as a like a one-off but the price tag on that is usually kind of four times what it would be oh. to actually have it produced yeah um so dead stock is i don't is it a good it kind of fits like it ticks lots of boxes in that it's kind of using up something that's waste it's more financially viable if you're a small designer um and it is also i think just i don't it's a nice like way of designing because you're not it's kind of problem solving you're like oh I would really, I would love to have this, like, I don't know, wool mohair suiting that is, like, super light and it's, like, this, like, really, really specific colour, but actually I can't find that. So it's kind of a nice, it's, like, a fun exercise in sourcing of trying it's to find It's a lot more things. effort to source. It is a lot more effort, but if you're, I don't know, I like doing it. It's kind of... It was a fun thing to do yeah, as well. Yeah, and it is, like, at the moment, it's literally just me doing, like, making things. So I can... Part of the process is me going sourcing, like that influences the design process. Like I'll do my kind of rough like research and kind of get an idea of what I want the collection to be. Then I'll go sourcing and find loads of fabrics and then I'll kind of come back and work out what of the things that I was contemplating making would work. Because there's no point making or like designing or like twirling some amazing jacket that then you cannot find a fabric that supports the structure of it. So you work backwards from the fabric, well, kind of from yeah. both sides into the middle. The fabric is like super important to like my clothes because it's tailoring. Um, the like the pieces are quite basic in that them like one fabric quite like they look quite simple and it's all about the cut. So the quality of the fabric is super important. Like it's not, and I don't, it's also just not like I my brand is quite kind of minimal so I'm not doing sparkly, jazzy, sequined, yeah. fringed things where you, I don't know, if you can kind of, not like hide a lot, but like it literally is just a wool crepe. Yeah. So I want to make sure it's like a really, really, really nice wool crepe. Earlier we were joking that in our interview for Ellie, we asked her if she was a fabric, what would you be? And what do you, your answer was? I said I was a double wool crepe. <laughs> it was like the quickest I answered any of the questions. <laughs> And we were like, oh, yeah, that's good fabric. <laughs> it's like the ultimate fabric. It's, yeah, super nice, really bouncy. The showrooms that you do, do they go alongside a, sh- a like, actual sh- like catwalky fashion show? Or are they, do lots of designers just pick the showroom instead? At my stage, I don't do, like, runway shows just because the it's kind of unsustainable, that the cost that goes into a runway show when it's like it's this amazing spectacle and I would love to do something like that but you're essentially like it kind of to me it kind of seems quite wasteful 
in the same way that like I'm trying to make everything quite kind of just be conscious about like what I'm doing with everything spending loads of money on something that essentially lasts like 15 minutes if that to be honest is not like it's just it's not financially viable for me and for a lot of brands as well like it's you build up kind of relationships with kind of buyers so hopefully you will have like met somebody I don't know just like through friends or through your showroom because the showrooms are like operated by like a third party so like and the lady I work with is great and she has she knows lots of people so they'll be coming to see it's why it's kind of nice doing it in a group as well because you'll get buyers that have come to see another brand that are then like oh you're kind of interesting um and also like literally Instagram is great as much as kind of what for buyers coming to you for you finding buyers as well because mm. so a lot of the stores that I like are <laughs> it's not voted that well for me in the kind of digital age because I like to be able to like touch and feel things so <laughs> the majority of the shops I've worked with don't have online pre- or like they have an online presence but it's more like a curated kind of art blog kind of thing with articles yeah. and it's more like a magazine <laughs> rather than like an e-commerce site um so that hasn't been great but for those kind of things like they have really beautiful like, Instagrams and it's you can you'll find a lot of them are kind of small independent shops that will have like even if they're owned by somebody else they'll have somebody that is like their head buyer and a lot of what I do is just reach out to people on Instagram and just be like hey I really yeah. love your shop um it's like my favorite thing to do when like when we're allowed to travel and then you take it's, a small yeah we'll take I, your whole collection to them no so like I when I travel I just go around all of the like whenever I go to a place I just look up what shops are there and go and like have a look and then ideally you can like try and chat to the people or you can like just quite fun yeah get a kind of feel for it a lot of them you just like chat to the sales staff as well also they're like the shops that you want to be in and looking at the other stuff yeah it's really nice to just kind of because I joke about it as like um it's like a museum (laughs) like you know you go to an art gallery and go to the Tate and just wander around and have a look at stuff like, I often go to a shop called Dover Street Market, which is in London. And I still haven't been to that. You talk about it often. <laughs> it's There's not that many kind of big concept stores. Like, Dover Street is massive. Where is it? Um, it's on Haymarket. So it used to be on Dover Street in London, which is near um, kind of Piccadilly. Or it's kind of behind the Royal Academy. Mm. But now it's on Haymarket, which is, I guess, just off Piccadilly as well. But kind of behind the Book of Mormon oh, Theatre, kind of that area. Oh, yeah, right down the end. Yeah. Um, but it's, like, Dover Street is massive. Um, so it's, it's like going to Tate or something. It's a big day out. But I just go, like, they've got a really nice cafe upstairs, and I just go and wander around and just look at the clothes, like you would go yeah, and look perfect. at art. Well, like, I do that on a much less designery level <laughs> of, like, going... When we used to, could go in shops, I used to, like, love going and, like, inspiration. Like, if you... If yeah. you're lacking sewing inspiration, I it's call perfect. it inspiration shopping. Yeah. yeah. Me and Rose used to do it. And then we when we didn't want to work and then we'd just wander around and like maybe try on some stuff. Because yeah. you'd see a sewing pattern and have no idea whether you, it look, actually looked good on. Yeah. Well, yeah, because with sewing, like I, you, I would just save outfits that you like and then you can then, if then you're like, if you've kind of got an idea of like, oh, I like those clothes, then if you see a sewing pattern that kind of is a certain yeah, shape exactly. for that, then you can be like, oh, I really liked that jumper. Therefore, like, oh, I could make 
oh, that pattern is really similar to the jumper. Yeah, because otherwise it's really hard to visualise it on your yeah, body. Yeah. or Especially when something's like in a trend, like all the shearing stuff. Yeah. I have no idea whether I'd look good in like one of those sheared dresses. Yeah. So before I spent like eight hours doing it. <laughs> Like try try one. <laughs> yeah it's like it's definitely a thing like I used to do it a lot like I used to work at Burberry and it was a legitimate thing that we would do is that like me and like, inspiration yeah like me and like the other two guys in the design team would go and just spend like an afternoon going to like Selfridges and to Harrods mm. and just have like inspiration day so we'd go to like art galleries and things and try and kind of get some inspiration uh, but also just go and wander around and like, I guess for that, like, see the clothes that you've designed in the shop as well. Just kind of see mm. how it's, like, presented. But also just go and, like, have a look and see what's kind of out there. And, yeah, yes. I really enjoy doing it. Cause... Yeah, I quite miss that, actually. Yeah. Just get some sewing excitement back in my life. Yeah. Yeah, because also then you can kind of see the way that people have finished stuff as well. Like, I love, yeah, like, finishing. like little techniques and... Yeah, yeah. That's, like, my favourite thing about garments is the inside. Mm. So I always look on the inside and, like, how... I think it's a mark of that you can tell whether something has been made. Like, it kind of, in, it's aware of that if you see things and you're like, oh, that's really expensive. Why is that expensive? If you look inside, quite often that's why. Because it's, it might seem like a very simple garment, but actually it's been finished really nicely. And that is kind of laborious, but yeah. it means that it lasts longer and feels nice to wear as well. Yeah. Like, French seaming. Mm. <laughs> Nothing feels nicer than like something that's French seamed. <laughs> No, overlocker. Overlocking's just so easy though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I was a bit of an overlocker snob. Like I used to... I still Never overlock anything. In my collections, I, the only thing that, well, that is overlocked sense, is it? like... For the price... The length design of, of the leg tra- of like the long seam on the trousers. But even yeah, then, yeah. I would bind it, but binding is sometimes too heavy. Mm. You probably all know that we are huge fans of faff machines. We use them in all of our workshops and when we're sewing at home on our boats. So what do we love most about them? They're super smooth to sew on with a sleek design and their iconic IDT system, essentially a built-in walking foot, makes handling all types of fabric a dream. We honestly couldn't sew what we do without them. Get in touch with us if you fancy a machine upgrade or if you'd like to know more about any of the models. We thought it'd be interesting to talk through the fabric that we have sort of from the point of me emailing a designer to Ellie sticking a label on (laughs) going out um so you're just going to do that briefly just so you know like the back end of what's happening basically and we did do an episode of this in season one it's called dead stock fabric and it has it's a whole episode just on this and it goes into loads of detail um but basically we email out designers or designers contact us um, when they've got stuff left and we buy in bulk so we don't ever go visit the fabric we used to a tiny bit and then now we absolutely don't just I because guess you've realized you don't need to yeah we don't need to we buy everything a designer has and also no one wants people going to their office now if it's avoidable so yeah. we get a few photos and then once we have agreed on a price we send couriers or a man with a van (laughs) and we pick it all up and then it's like the most exciting afternoon when it all arrives yeah it's always a bit uh, manic when you're trying to just like throw stuff out of a van into somewhere that's already full of fabric and you you... (laughs) it goes a bit like yeah you you're always kind of wild there's no 
you kind of if you open the back of the doors of the van and you look at it all and then you look in the room and then you're like oh, there's no way that this is all going to fit in there there's no room but it always does yeah <laughs> and then we try and we start off so it'll be coming out and it's coming out really fast and we'll be like okay put coatings over there jerseys over there and then by the end it's just like getting launched Shove into the room in. yeah and then it's quite a hard job to sort it yeah it does help but like the first couple of times we didn't do any sorting and we just shoved it in Mm. I guess it was because we had one really big delivery of lots of really big rolls. Because a lot of the time we'll only have maybe like 15, 20 metres of things because it's kind of things that designers have kind of had left over from sampling. But occasionally we get big rolls which are left over from that production. So for those we get like a full roll of kind of 40 metres. Um, so a lot of the time it's much smaller rolls, but we had one delivery which was all massive rolls left over mm. from production. And they're just so heavy and there's nowhere to go. So they all just got laid down and then everything just got piled on top of them. Yeah, that was... And then there was loads of boxes of trim. Yeah. And, yeah. The boxes of trim are quite hard because we just launch them in and then you're so busy sorting everything else that they kind of get pushed to the You like, also the can't the sort them out in the same way that you would sort out fabric. Because with fabric, mm. you can kind of... It's on a roll, you can see it. Whereas with trim, if you've just got a massive cardboard box that's just full of unknown yeah. kind of excitement you have a little rummage and then it just has to get put somewhere and then inevitably something else gets put on top of it and then you forget what's in there. Yeah. But we're trying to, we're slowly working our way through them. But then as soon as you've worked your way through the boxes that you've got, more arrives. Yeah, you get another delivery. So it's sort of endless. One day we'll have a really big warehouse where there's room like for it all to be laid area. out. Yeah. A quarantine. Yeah. And then you like <laughs> process it out of there. I guess as well, because we try to keep the kind of so we had this, like, the main studio, and then there's, like, the studio next door, which is where the bulk of the fabric is kept. And we try to keep it so that, like, taffetas are in one section, jerseys are in another section, all the kind of printed silks are in another section. But obviously, because we're not stocking those all the time, the kind of sections get a bit kind of fluid. Mm. So then by the time you're getting more things in, where, like... I don't know, like, your printer section has now been taken over by coating. So then you have to, you get a, a bunch of printer silks, so then you need to find a new section for it to go yeah. in. So there's no, whereas if we had loads of space, you could have, like, dedicated wool section. Yeah, on these really nice, section. like, shelves. I see some fabric shops and their shelves only have one layer of rolls. Yeah, and they're, like, like nothing's doubled slightly. up. Yeah. Oh. And ours are, like, maybe four, four deep. Four deep at least. Yeah. yeah. That would be nice. Yeah, and if you just... Yeah, because if you had dedicated sections where everything could just go, then it when you're sorting it, it could just go there, whereas we're kind of... And picking would be so nice. You'd just walk around and be like, pull this one out. Silk section. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so it comes in, and then that sort of is left in a huge mess, and then you normally tidy it. Yeah, that basically, once the kind of courier or the driver is gone, because usually it's kind of, we have to get out of the van as quickly as possible because the driver wants to go. Um, so once that's done, there's usually a moment of like, let's look at what there is. Yeah, go around and get excited. <laughs> but that's also at the point where you can kind of tell what the like uh, collections will be. Because if you go around and you're like, oh, this is so nice. Oh, there's loads of this. Like, like, like we had a deliver uh, collection a couple of weeks ago of loads of the kind of polyester crepe jeans. And that was like a happy coincidence because yeah. we were just kind of going through and being like, oh, we had one of these before. This is nice. Oh, hang on. There's the same in that colour. Oh, and this colour. It's and nice then, when that happens, when we get the same fabric but in different prints or different colours. Yeah. Yeah, and that was just, that was like a little natural collection that kind of formed mm. just because we happened to see there was lots of it. 
and that a couple of months ago we had lots of kind of medium kind of heavyweight crepes and again that was just mm, because we got they were nice there happened to be a bunch of those in there so there's kind of always that moment of like you're rummaging and just trying to see what exciting things there are and then also vaguely thinking in the back of your mind oh there's lots of kind of that type of fabric that would make a good a little kind of collection and different designers have different themes as well like yeah. you can like we'll have like one designer that we buy from has these amazing floral silks so we always know there's going to be some of those when we get a delivery from them or some have it's like loads of, of tool and laces yeah. and and something's like more casual wear so it's more yeah. kind of cotton twills and or menswear have more like shirtings and yeah. things yeah um so once we've kind of had a rummage and kind of vaguely got an idea of what we're going to be putting up if there's anything kind of that is going to go up immediately then that gets kind of sectioned off first like we had a delivery two weeks ago I think that had all of the coatings that just went Mm. up so the purple ones and the cashmere's and obviously we're in November it makes sense to get them as soon as possible because if you want to make a winter coat you want to make it now so you can actually wear it this winter um so then that was a right we should and if everything else kind of got stood up and kind of vaguely sorted but the priority was rolling kind of all the cashmere um and oh yeah this is a new thing to the um process is that when I first started didn't have the rolling machine (laughs) um so that was fun so that was the process of like looking at things and kind of trying to guess how much was in a roll and just trying to like I've worked in kind of a couple of different fabric shops before so I've got an okay eye for what is on a roll yeah I'm really bad Rosie was quite good Rosie's really good yeah Rosie like like knowledge like flicks through the little selvage at the top of the roll and be like "Mm, 13 meters and normally it's quite good yeah but for that it was I don't know you basically just have to massively underestimate and then put more on yeah when it sells out which was a lot of like admin on the back end because you were constantly like every day you do a stock check basically yeah and go around and just be like oh this one's out of stock but I'm looking at it and there's at least another four meters on there yeah so I'll put another four on and then you get down for that four and then you've realized oh actually there's another meter and a half on yeah there. um and with some things it's like <laughs> is it even worth putting a meter or half a meter back online because it's, it's really annoying as well with things like coating where if you've got half a meter somebody's just bought two meters there's a good chance that they probably needed two and a half meters to make it coat yeah and you've got this half a meter you, you, you're not going to go through the process of emailing them to double check if they need that half meter and then that is just too long-winded so you end up just cutting it off and it becomes a remnant and yes somebody can kind of use that half meter to make mm. like a cushion or a bag or even though sometimes like a little mini skirt or something it's just it kind of seems like wasteful as well because you're cutting things that don't necessarily need to be cut. So the rolling machine is great because you can literally roll it and it counts it. So you know exactly what is on the roll so that when you're putting online, you know that you're putting on like the exact correct quantity. So we take off 10% normally. Mm -hmm. Um, So if it's 20 metres, we'll put on 18 metres. Yeah. And then that that allows for some like cutting. Yeah, because usually you get like an extra five-ish centimetres just for... Because you can't... I don't know. We're not, like, machines. (laughs) There's sometimes going to be, like, a little wave in the cutting. And with some of the really drapey ones as well, it's just hard to cut in, like, a really straight line. So we need, like, a little bit of wiggle room. And then what's left, we remnant. Yeah. And also some things, like, 
there as you're rolling it you try and look out to see if there's any imperfections but just mm-hmm. through the nature of rolling it if you've got a massive roll of kind of 30 meters you might not necessarily notice especially if it's a print that there's like a white line running through it yes or there's like kind of prints yeah misprints um and if sometimes it, you get oil from the um kind of mill machines yeah so sometimes you see like it's like a little kind of like brown kind of dirty marks uh, like in the middle of the roll most of the times that will just wash out but you have to like it's annoying if you're rolling out of silk and there's like some little brown marks in the middle of it yeah so those that 10 percent means that you can kind of hopefully cut around that or actually like fulfill the order so after we've rolled while they're rolled they get tagged tagged and then measured the width and then usually any information that is on the roll that you've taken it off we try to put on the tag so a lot of the time there's no information so then we do burn tests yeah and try and kind of guess what it is and also a lot of the time like if there's no information but you can clearly tell that it's like a cotton shirting yeah then you can just you can pretty safely say that this is cotton um but occasionally we'll have they'll have like the manufacturer's tags on them so for those that's where we can work out where the um like origin of the fabric is Mm. so a lot of the time we don't know but we just had a bunch that was from japan um and that's because all the tags were kind of from a japanese mill and they also have usually the kind of not always actually sometimes it's really annoying where you think there's going to be like a wealth of information and actually yeah it's just like a packing list or yeah something. there's nothing on there yeah um but quite often there'll be like the composition uh sometimes there's the meterage which also is what we used to use as a guess of um, how much was on the rolls but now we pretty much just roll everything just kind of yeah because be also side. lots of stuff comes on broken rolls which are really annoying to handle and roll out and cut so this way we can transfer it all onto like a really strong roll that we know isn't gonna yeah it just fold. Ma- yeah it makes it much easier in terms of like it kind of streamlines the actual like physical cutting process because mm. especially if you've got a really heavy fabric and the roll is like snap like broken in half if you're trying to roll it out and the end of the roll is kind of constantly flopping around it yeah. means it's just way, it's horrible to move around yeah yeah it's way nicer um yeah so we kind of just try and put as much information on um some designers actually send like a spreadsheet yeah or like so their helpful. head of production will send like a spreadsheet and we're getting some from a designer in a couple of weeks actually and they've got the mills that everything came from really the exact meterage the composition and like what they initially paid for it which is really helpful with pricing yeah, because yeah, that's the other thing. It's a lot of the things that we had, um, it's it's really peculiar. It's like a wool bonded to a foam, bonded to a jersey. And it's really nice, but it's kind of one of those fabrics where it's a bit harder to work out what you'd make out. Like, yeah, what like you make any out technical fabric, so just a bit. Yeah, but then we were chatting to the guy that worked for the designer. Like they, We bought some more fabric from them, so he came down uh, when it was dropped off. And he was like, oh yeah, this is like the most fancy, expensive yeah. Uh, fabric it's from this like really like elite italian mill and we've got it for like 12 pounds a meter and he was deeply offended by it he was like that's we've spent like four times that on having that made or something yeah um but yeah a lot of time like we don't know we kind of you just have to guess based on like the uh composition and kind of the print and and also what we know the home like our customers want from a fabric yeah well this is the other thing it's like Yes, high fashion designer might want this kind of wild technical fabric, but realistically, are you going to be able to make the like high performance thing that they're making out of it? No, mm. 
you'll just wouldn't, want to make like want to, a nice <laughs> yeah you'll just want to make like a nice boxy jacket yeah, out of it exactly yeah um yeah whereas yeah things that they might kind of be like oh this is just like i've been using this for lining we're like actually this feels amazing this would make a really nice wrap top yeah so yeah. then we bring it so then we do the collection picking so this is like a combination of me rosie when she's here and ellie and we sort of go around pick out around like 12 to 15 yeah normally um and then bring them into next door into our main studio and we've got some new we've put some like standing shelving units in here so we put in the next uploads in there so that so that we can see them all together and then I'll photograph yeah and then I list Ellie's listing and then yeah normally this is like a few days in advance yeah usually we so if we were uploading on if it was like the Thursday upload we would usually be trying to do this on kind of Monday and then it might spill over a little bit into Tuesday um and at this point we name them as well so sometimes when we're doing a collection we like pick fun names yeah like we just had a places like winter holiday (laughs) destinations that you can't go to because of corona yeah for all our coatings but it's quite hard to name stuff that doesn't have a color association so it's not like we can pick flowers or like yeah fruit or something because they have kind of strong color associations but we love a naming session yeah it's fun especially when you have kind of three different purples and you're trying to yeah differentiate them. <laughs> it's like this is aubergine this is merlot oh yeah this you just like, had that in the one coming up box purple. royal purple <laughs> yeah <you've got. laughs> yeah because it's not quite um a well-known chocolate company's purple yeah <laughs> but it's not yeah it's very kind of... <laughs> it's like a nicer version of that yeah <laughs> i don't know whether they're allowed to put brand yeah probably <laughs> and then we and then yeah we do an IGTV to give you a better idea of what's going to in the collection that normally goes up like two days before they go live Mm -hmm. Um, I think the IGTV is really good as well because that's where you can like we were saying it's kind of hard if you're buying fabric online you can't necessarily see I don't know it's it's hard because you're not feeling it in person yeah you can't move it around yeah there's a lot of things that you kind of come across in person that aren't that kind of you don't really think about as being obvious Whereas, like, if you're trying to buy something online, you have to, like, go through, like, oh, actually, what what do I think about when I buy it in person? So seeing it in a video is really useful because you can see how it moves and, like, if it catches the light. And some things can be super lightweight and they're, like, kind of fluttery and floaty. And other things can be quite heavy, but they can still be very drapey. And maybe you want that heavier jersey that has, like, a really nice drape to it. Or you might want something that's, like, much stiffer but still lightweight. And you just can't see these things from a photo. Yeah, exactly. So we we normally put we normally put most of them in, or at least a variation of each color in the IGTV. Enough to show, like if we're doing one and it, there's four French terries, yeah. we're not going to show all of them. We'll kind of show one. So enough of a variation to cover the different kind of qualities and weights that are going to be in kind of each upload. And then we tried to we people asked us to do something like this because when we upload fabric and we've only got like 12 meters of it and it's really beautiful they were missing out on buying it and they wanted to see what was going to be going on in advance in more detail um and also people like having the information like how wide it is just so that they know if they're placing their order quickly when it goes up that they're going to have enough to make that dress yeah like there's no perfect system for because it's all dead stock it's all finite you can't just kind of order more in mm. so that 
it's been kind of trying to work out what the fairest way of letting people know about it is and doing kind of the IGTV in advance means that you're kind of hopefully giving most people the opportunity to kind of see what's coming up yeah and make a kind of give you a bit of time to make a decision of whether or not you could want to buy it yeah. and how much you like you need to buy you can think about it so that at six o'clock you're not just suddenly seeing all these new fabrics for the first time and then panic buying yeah because we want to give people we want to avoid that basically yeah and especially if there's like three fabrics that you really like it then gives you like a day or so to mull over do yeah, I pick your fave i don't really need three pairs of luxury pajamas <laughs> which one am i like do i really want yeah so that is sort of the whole life cycle yeah and then i guess once everything goes live we kind of we schedule it a few days in advance um and then hannah does a newsletter which has all of the um fabrics in it so that's another thing if you don't have instagram subscribe to the newsletter yeah because that goes out bang on when the, the new fabrics go live so then you can link straight through to the new stock and shop it there yeah um and then once everything has been like once the orders have kind of come in um we literally just like stand and cut them and work through um for when we have a drop where there's kind of quite a bit of fabric like with um we've just had one of the lots of jerseys that had quite a lot of meterage and we know that there's going to be like there's some really nice kind of uh sweatshirtings and stuff there there's going to be a lot of orders for those so what we do is we'll start at kind of the like at the bottom of the list so that the order that came first and then work our kind of way up so that it makes sure that if for if there is for some reason not enough left, the person that put in the order first gets the fabric. Because we kind of think that's like the fairest yeah. way. Of well doing we've it. always did that, even when we didn't have the rolling machine, so we just kind yeah. of stuck with that. Um and then what we tend to do is uh we'll bulk cut um some of the fabrics. So we won't kind of preemptively bulk cut like two meter pieces but we will do is we'll say like oh gray mull french terry this order has got some of that in it i know there's going to be a bunch more orders of this so then i'll we'll kind of look at the list and we'll go through and in that same kind of order from kind of the earliest order kind of to the last order we'll go through and we'll cut them and then we uh, write the order number and the name and they kind of go on the main table and then as you kind of go through you add the other bits to it. Yeah, and then you can kind of pick from that. Yeah, yeah, because it's kind of the... Because we tried bolt cutting different lengths for one drop back in the summer, and it was really confusing not knowing exactly who they were allocated to. Mm. Um, so it's worked... It's, but it is much easier to cut one... If you've got, like, a massive roll on the table to just yeah, cut... Yeah, because they're awkward to get on and off it. the tables. Yeah, so if you've got five orders, they're all two metres each, it's way easier to just cut like two meters yeah. and then another two meters another two meters uh, it's more efficient as well because you're not putting it backs and forwards um but as we make sure that they're kind of they're definitely assigned to somebody once they've been cut so you don't just end up with random fabric yeah tables full of like linen we had didn't we yeah <laughs> everywhere so much linen um yeah and then literally once it all gets um like picked it just goes in a, a like an envelope with a little postcard sealed up compostable bag yeah and compostable tape now as well which is good yeah we managed to find a compostable tape so we swapped swapped over so you can just put that in with your food waste yeah or if you have a compost bin put it in there yeah and then it all breaks down which is really good um and then and rosie's dad actually tried it did he yeah and it completely went so oh, we've done a t- test 
when Rosie's mum bought some fabric. And Rosie's dad approved. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of it. The only other thing um, that has changed is that when I first started working here, we manually took everything to the post office. Oh, but that was... In... Our post office was only, like, two minutes away. Yeah. But even so, in retrospect, that kind of seems wild. Yes, yeah, we used to look like Santa, um, like, with two bags on each <laughs> shoulders, and then we didn't have to stand there while they processed it. We had a drop-and-go, so we just had to dump it in. Yeah. But, oh, that was but... horrible, wasn't it? Every day, lugging it around there before yeah. they shut. Yeah, it's like, oh, the post office shuts at, like, four o'clock. Okay, ten to four, quickly. <laughs> Take yeah. the bags around. Yeah. Um, but now we have a really nice postman who comes and collects it. Yeah, and he comes, like, three o'clock, so if your order's gone by then, you get processed that day. And most are sent either 24 or 48 hours, first and second class, but at the moment, I think post is taking a lot longer. Yeah. Um, whenever there's a lockdown, like, in the UK, they can take up to, like, two weeks to arrive. Yeah. Um, but that's unavoidable, basically. Yeah. And it seems a real lottery of where you live. Yeah, it was really kind of interesting. We had a customer who lives, like, literally 10 minutes walk away, and they didn't get their order for, like, three and a half weeks, whereas people that live in, kind of, the Outer Hebrides in Scotland got their order in, like, three days. Yeah. So it's just whether your post office has staff out, shortages. Yeah. Um, We've got some new tags from uh, the post office that have 48 hours and 24 hours on them that we can now affix to the outside of the bags because apparently that means that as long as all the post inside and because most of our post is kind of all the same like a class mm. uh, then they know that all that post is in there so they don't need to kind of because before they would be tipping it out realising that it's all the same putting it all back in and then allocating it whereas now they it just goes straight to yeah, p- the like 24 or 48 allocation so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that speeds it up a bit but yeah that's only been happening for like a week so we'll see yeah, see if it makes an improvement. Yeah. And then, yeah, it wings its way to you guys and you make lovely things out of fabric. <laughs> when we are listing stuff online, what information do we include in the in the listing? So, And this is information that you would need to see if you're buying from any online fabric store, basically. Yeah, so we always list composition, width, and then... In the kind of long description, we always try and talk about kind of the weight, the finish or like the handle. So kind of whether it's like got shiny or whether it's like fluffy, mm. whether it feels soft, whether it feels kind of cold. Um, and then with jersey, we always try and put the percentage of stretch. Um, some of these things we know, like with width, you literally just measure it. Um, and also with the prints and with things that are like... Uh, coated or something we try and always measure the like usable piece so mm. if you've got a fabric that has got kind of a coating on it and the fabric itself is 60 160 wide but the coated bit is only 145 we'll always try and make sure that it's 145 that we've written because that's kind of the usable area yeah. of it um so with that obviously you can kind of you know exactly what it is um but with the composition sometimes we know exactly like we often do a burn test, which is where you literally kind of light it, a small bit of yeah. the fabric, and then you, by how it burns, you can kind of tell what it is. So, like, the most obvious thing is kind of, is it synthetic, or is it kind of polyester side of synthetic, or is it not? Because polyester and kind of other, like, essentially plastic fabrics go all, like, they melt. Basically. Yeah, they go, like, into a really solid little ball. Little ball, yeah. 
it's really hot. Burn yeah, myself don't touch. I've burnt myself. Yeah, um, I'm pinching it. Yeah. Whereas man-made fabric, whereas a uh, sorry, like natural fabrics, tend to like flake or kind of crumble. Mm-hmm. Um, and the smell as well is completely different. Yeah. So you have things like wool smells like hair. Like, but you know, you know, if you like accidentally burn your hair on straighteners or something, it smells like that. But if you think about it, it's a sheep's hair. So obviously, it yeah. smells like burning hair. Um, and cotton smells like paper. So you can kind of tell of the way that like they burn similarly. Then you can kind of look at the smell. You can also look at kind of how it glows as well. Mm. That um, can tell you what it is. With some things, uh, like if they're getting into blend territories like we had one or we have one which is a silk acetate so acetate and silk burn kind of similarly so it was hard so luckily this had a um it had exactly what it was on the fabric mm. um but that they with that you kind of just have to make an educated guess yeah and we wouldn't know the exact percentages, percentages. Yeah. yeah we'd be like well this is a blend of this and this but even when it's like a silk um poly blend yes like we burnt one earlier today it's a taffeta and like the warp was silk and the weft was poly poly yeah but you we can't say what percentage that that is no yeah exactly so quite often like if you burn it and you're kind of getting kind of mixed messages from the burning i'll try and pull out some of the warp threads and some of the weft threads and see whether because sometimes it's as straightforward as mm. warp is silk weft is poly yeah and then you're like okay no and it's so obvious when you burn it like that yeah but other times it'll be that the actual fiber that is kind of woven is a mixture of different things but we just we basically it's just kind of through kind of years of experience yeah of using fabrics and, and you you know more about composition than me and rosie i'd say yeah, like I've been, I've been sewing since I can basically remember, and like I've worked in multiple fabric shops yeah. and in like fashion, kind of my whole life really. Um, so like I've done this kind of stuff, like professionally for ages. So I have like I don't also I really like fabric, so I have my yeah. own kind of good knowledge of it. But yeah, it's just kind of, a lot of it is just kind of trial and error of like burning it and seeing what happens, and then. The descriptions are also really helpful because we all, like you said, we always try and put in like the feel and the touch and stuff, but you can't get everything from that. No. So people do message and ask for a video of it moving. Maybe, yeah. And especially if they haven't, they don't follow us on Instagram, if they don't use Instagram. And then we always send that. So do you like send an email if you want that or a DM on Instagram and we can show you as many images as you need or videos of it. Yeah. Moving yeah. around. Especially like we try and like we try and say kind of what the weight is. So we'll I don't know like if it's like a really like fluffy wool or something, we'll try and kind of convey that it has a lot of like an airy fluffy texture. Yeah. And like we'll write things like has a spongy feel. Yeah. To try and get across how it would it drapes. Yeah. Um, because also a lot of the time like if it's a kind of I don't know if it's a jersey and it's kind of a bit chunky. It could be a bit chunky, but like a very, very stiff, or it could be a bit chunky and have like a 30% four-way stretch. Yeah. And there's no real way of telling that from a photograph, so we always try and write. And they'd hang completely differently. Yeah. The photo of it scrunched is always quite helpful, I think, so you can see then how much structure it's got. I was just photographing some silks today, and they're like so flowy. And you can see that on the scrunch photo. Yeah, and we always try and do like a photo of kind of part of the raw edge and the selvedge. 
and again with that you can kind of often tell mm, like how thick it is yeah. yeah exactly so yeah we, we always try and um photograph like from lots of different angles so you can kind of get an idea of like some really close-ups if it's got like a twill weave so you can kind of because with like plain fabrics they can have like a very very subtle weave that you might mm. not necessarily pick up on your first photo so we always try and have one that's very kind of zoomed in to illustrate kind of that like the really fine texture of it yeah which you'd have to look up pretty close to see but yeah we always try and give a photo of that yeah and then we also include yeah percentage stretch and if we know the country that it's been manufactured in then we always include that as well yeah if it's a well-known mill then we always include that as well we get asked quite a lot on um instagram especially what designer stuff has come from and we can't include that no um and we won't ever include that it's just like confidentiality yeah but Um, it's so far all been london based yeah and all really nice designers yeah with like amazing clothes yeah a lot of it we're like (laughs) it's so cryptic but (laughs) (laughs) i'm going through and just be like i wonder what this was made this is made up yeah and we love searching and going and finding it yeah um, but yeah, we can't ever share that. And I mean, some of them say what designer it's come on, uh, on the print, but otherwise, yeah, we can't share the information. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it for what we include when we list something online. Yeah. But yeah, if you ever want any more information, then just message any of the fabric shops. I'm sure most of them like most independent yeah most independent fabric shops will help you um find like help you with fabric one of the places i worked before they didn't have any online presence they were kind of a central london shop um so we did lots of kind of emails and that side of thing and they don't really have a social media presence either so it's kind of very old school but if we'd get an email from somebody being like oh i'm trying to make like a dress for my daughter's wedding I really want like a blue floral kind of brocade and then I would literally just go and take photos of blue floral, floral brocades on my phone and then just email them to them and then they would be like oh that's great those three please and then we send them a swatch like mm. we don't do swatches because it's such finite quantities it's kind of no point but that's why we try and be as helpful as possible with photos and with videos and because we do lots through social media it's really easy to just dm you a video yeah and most most places will try and help you because i don't know like they understand that buying fabric online is not the kind of ideal scenario and that it is nice to be able to see things in person but with with videos and with like detailed pictures and also just kind of like a video is helpful because you can see it in different lights and like we had one where somebody was trying to match two different like a lace to some background mm, yeah colors. for a wedding dress yeah so we just had a fun time where we were like oh what would we want underneath this lace yeah so we're pulling out all these like raw silk taffetas yeah laying the lace over she wanted photos on loads of different ones yeah and it's kind of like it's it's a bit kind of labor intensive but it's quite a fun thing to do yeah especially but, for a wedding dress yeah exactly because you're like oh it's such an amazing like, project spent an hour this afternoon just like because <laughs> yeah. like, you get to go through and be like oh what like I've what taffetas have you got? I've forgotten about all of these like yeah. really nice pretty ones that have kind of have been on for a while. But like bridal isn't something we're not selling loads of like wedding dress fabric. So it's a fun little kind of like dive into our own fabrics. 
thank you for coming on today, Ellie. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We'll have to have you back later in the (laughs) season. (laughs) I hope it wasn't too boring. I feel like I waffled about uh, my brand and stuff quite a lot. It's interesting. And if our listeners want to find find you on Instagram. Oh, yeah. I'm like at Eleanor McDonald Studio. So my brand is basically just my name. And we'll share a... All this will be in the show notes as well. So you'll find it. Yeah. Ellie in there. Cool. I think I was persuaded to share a picture of my face on Instagram, so there is a picture of me. Yeah, you can find <laughs> if you want to put a face to a name, if I face to a voice, yeah. <laughs> then you can find Ellie on our Instagram as well. Thank you. Bye.